you know, we were, um, I went up on the mountain with the guys, Palomar Mountain. It's a beautiful place. If any of you men haven't been there, I'd really encourage you. And the weather yesterday morning was pretty much just like this. When we got up and it was like crisp, you know, really crisp and beautiful and sunny. And, you know, all the guys are kind of up and moving around. And they have a little coffee bar there. Oh, the Lord is so good. And then about two o'clock, the weather changed and literally fog came in and the temperature literally dropped about 15 degrees. And I started thinking, I think life is sometimes like that, isn't it? I mean, things are kind of smooth sailing. It's sunny. Wow, it's beautiful out today. And then wow, things change and you've got problems. Now, sometimes the problems are self-inflicted. You know, we make stupid choices and now we're paying the price. But sometimes it almost feels like they just come out of nowhere and suddenly you're dealing with some major issue in your life. And, and uh, God's really good at using those, by the way, to get our attention, isn't he? And that's really where we're at today in the book of Mark. There's a man and, and he's paralyzed. He's got a problem and it's a pretty serious problem. But he's got some really good friends and these friends have heard that Jesus is a healer and they're going to bring this man to him to heal him. To give you a little background and setting in Mark chapter 2 where we're going to be at today in verses 1 through 12. I want to share with you kind of chapter 1 in a nutshell. Jesus is walking on the Sea of Galilee and he sees some fishermen and he goes up to them and says, Hey, follow me. And he gets four of them. He gets Andrew, Simon, and he gets James and John and and they start following Jesus. And then, then all of them kind of end up going to Capernaum because Simon Peter, he has a home there and they're going to go stay there. But when they come into Capernaum, Jesus goes to the local synagogue and he preaches. And in, in Mark chapter 1 verse 22, it says, and, and they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus steps into the synagogue and boom, he starts pronouncing the word of God and people are absolutely stunned by his preaching. And then something happens. There's a man there who's possessed with a demon and Jesus casts out the demon. Well, that spreads throughout Capernaum. Suddenly people go, wow. This guy not only preaches really good, he heals people of demons. And so all the sudden people converge upon Simon Peter's house. And instead of kicking them out, Jesus starts healing people of their diseases. He starts casting out more demons. And all night long this goes on. And in the morning he gets up early and says, you know what, we need to leave this place because I need to go preach throughout all of Galilee. And that's what he does. He goes all around Galilee preaching and casting out demons and healing people. Okay, that's Mark chapter 1. And what we see in that is we see a display of God's glory, His healing power over our physical diseases, but also His power over our enemy Satan and His dominions. Now we move into chapter 2 where we're at. And all of a sudden we meet a paralyzed man. And I wish, and I do, I have friends that love me like these guys love him. And they're, they're going to get him to Jesus. This is their heart. They're going to get him there. And so they show up and they bring this man to Jesus because he's got a problem. A really big problem. But the question I want to ask you to be asking yourselves, is that the biggest problem? Because guys, I know 
that in this church, some of you have come here today with some pretty big problems. It is like the elephant in the living room. You cannot get around it. I know there are a number of people in this church that have been struggling with work and they're, they're just trying to make it. Some of you have so much debt, you feel like you're never going to climb out. Some of you are like this paralyzed man. You need a healing. You're sick. And you're waiting upon God to move. And you're saying, Lord, I've got this problem. Would you take care of this problem for me? But I want you to ask yourself, as we walk through the text, is it the biggest problem? Because what's going to happen today is we're going to see that there's going to be an answer to this question. What is the solution to the biggest problem? Let's look at the text. It's in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The first point I'm going to make today is that our, po- our problem is used by God to get our attention. God is going to use whatever circumstance you have in your, in your life to kind of wake you up to the reality that He is God. He's going to get your attention. Let's read the text. Verses 1 through 4. And when He came back, that's Jesus, to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that He was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, even near the door. And he was speaking a word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. So you've got to kind of get the picture here. Jesus returns to Capernaum. He goes to Simon Peter's house and all of a sudden word comes out. Hey. That healer guy, he's over there at Simon's house. People show up and not just a few, a lot of people. Now, in the book of Luke, chapter five, verse 17, it says also that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law from every village in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. So you kind of have a mixed bag of people. You have a bunch of religious leaders. They show up because they're trying to figure out, is this guy for real? I mean, is this guy really healing people? So they kind of converge too. So you have all these religious leaders and then you have everybody from the surrounding Capernaum. They're all showing up. It's so tight. You can't get in. You ever gone to an elevator and you're the first one in and you stand in and all of a sudden another person, another person, and then the door just keeps staying open. Everybody comes in and finally you're touching shoulder to shoulder. That's the way it is. It's so tight they can't get in. Well, these guys show up with their friend. They heard, hey, the healer guy, he's there. So they come, they literally have him on a stretcher, right? Four of them, they each got a handle, they're walking them there and wow, there's no way to get in. I know. They're going to go and ruin this guy's house. No problem. We love him so much, we'll do whatever it takes. This problem is so big, we're going to make it happen. They climb on the roof. You need to understand it's a mud thatch roof so they can dig a hole, right? Think how big that hole has to be. I don't know, is the guy 5'10"? They've got to dig like a six foot long by maybe, you know, four feet. They're destroying this guy's, Simon Peter's home. They're desperate. Absolutely desperate. This man needs a healing. This man needs his problem solved. And I know, I know that there are people here today, you've got a big one. And some people may not even know it. But it kind of stands before your eyes when you close your eyes at night. And you don't know how God's going to fix this problem. But is it the biggest problem? I don't think so. And I'm going to show you that. 
I want to introduce you to somebody, and her name's Carol. I'd like you to put that picture of Carol up there, if you would. This is Carol LaPearl. Beautiful, huh? I met Carol in January, and uh, Carol, when I met her, was 64. And I was called by her daughter, Gail, to come over to Mission Hospital and to share Jesus with Carol. Carol looked like she was 100. Rough, rough life. And that's okay, you can put back the text. Thank you. I want, to, I want you to kind of get a picture because I'm going to kind of trace Carol throughout this whole message. And I called the family. I asked her daughter and her son if they'd allow me the privilege to share Carol's life story with you as we walk through because it parallels this paralyzed man. Carol had kind of a blessed life. As you could tell, she was beautiful. I mean, a beautiful young lady. She was smart, really a bright girl. She had a lot of gifts. She was one of these people that could do anything really well. She was a surfer girl. She was a skier, kind of popular, that whole thing. But Carol was very independent. Her daughter, Carol, told me that she liked to do things her own way and only her own way. And she was kind of discontented. If you could say one word for her, to be discontent. She always thought that there was something else out there that would satisfy that would make life really meaningful. And she was always kind of searching and nothing quite met that satisfaction. But God blessed her life. She got married. She had three beautiful children. But because of her kind of independent lifestyle and attitude, her marriage dissolved after 13 years and she got divorced. And so Carol, if you call her one thing, maybe she was kind of like a free spirit. You know, my dad used to say she had a zest for life. And so Carol just liked to do anything, but one thing she got involved in was partying. Now, even though she had kids, she became kind of a party girl, kind of lifestyle, to the point where she became addicted to alcohol. And as a matter of fact, became a chronic alcoholic. And it got so bad that she got three DUIs. And finally, the judge said, okay, you're going into a forced rehab program, and they're actually going to give you drugs to see if we can help you break that habit of alcohol. Well, Carol doesn't listen very much to anyone. And so she kind of continued on that path of drinking and going to rehab and also taking this drug, which you shouldn't take with alcohol. And it fried her liver. It burned it out. Matter of fact, she had liver failure. And you would think something like that would get your attention, right? God, are you trying to tell me something? But no, man, she is headstrong. She's going to do things her way. And she literally was rushed to the hospital in 1992, dying of liver failure. And most of us would think, well, well, I'd kind of wake up and listen to God. I mean, he must be trying to tell me something. But she was like, no, I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to make this happen. And sure enough, fortunately for her, a woman had been killed in a car accident when they brought her into the hospital. And the family agreed to give her her liver. And they did a liver transplant. For Carol, problem solved. Back to living life the way I want it, right? And for some of you here today, that's kind of the idea. You're you're saying, you know, God, I I have this problem and I'm I'm really hoping you're going to solve it because I really just want to get back to normal, my way. Well, back to the man who's paralyzed. You've got to understand this is a serious problem for a paralyzed man in that day. They don't have a hospital just kind of around the corner 
And when you're paralyzed, you can't fend for yourself. You can't feed yourself. Most of the time, you'll probably get a disease and die. So they know how desperate it is. You have these friends that love him so much. They bring him to Jesus. And, and at any point, they want to they get him there because they understand this is a huge deal. He's going to die. And they're praying upon prayer that this man really is a healer. That, that somehow, when we break that roof out and we drop him down... That Jesus is some kind of going to perform this really cool miracle. And then he can get back to life as usual is what they're thinking. But what they don't realize, guys, is that there's a deeper problem. A much deeper problem. And God will always get your attention to try to get you to look at the deeper issue in your life. Whatever your problem is, trust me. The Lord wants to wake you up. To your problem. And it's not just the problem. You have a deeper issue. And from a, a worldly perspective, we would look at this man's issue and say, wow, that's it. That is the biggest problem in his life. But from a godly perspective, there is something that's much deeper. He's lost the use of his legs. He can't fend for himself. And we need to understand who Christ is. He knows your issue. He knows exactly where this man is at. He knows exactly what he needs. He knows where you're at. He absolutely understands the hurt, the struggle, the desire of your heart. But what he will do is he will allow this problem to remain until he has your attention. Is it the main problem? See, the paralytic, this is what he's thinking. He's thinking, if I can only walk... Then I can get back to doing what I did before. It's kind of like if I can only walk, if I can only get my life back, then I can keep saving myself the way I did it before. That's the Jew, right? You save yourself. You follow a religious code. You do a religious system. But Jesus wants to take him much, much deeper. There's a discontent in our heart, guys, that goes really deep. And for some of you here, I think it might be you want a relationship that's meaningful. And so that is the big problem you have. I want to find that man or woman that's going to make my life the way it should be. For some of you, it's a job. It's impacted your life in a way. And that, that was kind of where your identity was. And everything kind of revolved around that. And suddenly, gone. And so the big problem for you is I need to get that career, that niche, whatever. And then my life will be right on track. And for some of you like this man, there's a, there's a physical issue with you. You're hurting. There's some kind of a physical problem that you have. But Christ always wants to go past the problem. Because the discontent you feel in your heart is much, much deeper. You know, I read an article by a woman by the name of Cynthia Hamill. And Cynthia, she writes for a paper called The Village Voice, and she knew a number of actors and actresses, you know, kind of those struggling types. You know, they're, they're working as a waiter or they're parking cars, anything to just kind of make it so they could get the big break. You know what I'm talking about? Because in their mind, the big problem is they want, to be, they want fame. If they can just get fame, then life comes together for them, and then they'll be content. Then they'll be happy. This is what she writes. She says, I pity celebrities. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after, each of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose. 
Because the giant they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their life bearable, that was going to provide them with that personal fulfillment and happiness had happened. And nothing changed. They were still themselves. And their delusionment turned them howling and insufferable. I think God wants to play, I think if God wants to play a really rotten joke on you, He grants you your deepest wish. Anybody ever been there? I had a goal back when I was just about 30, and that was to give black belt in karate. I spent 10 years working towards that goal, and I'll never forget the night I got the belt. I was the only one that made it that year. They had a big celebration, all these black belts, and I thought, this is it, man. I'm kind of in the end with these other black belts. I got their respect. I'm cool dude. But that night when I laid in my bed, I said, is that it? All that for this piece of cloth? I felt so empty. Why? Because I was still myself. There was a discontent in my heart that went really deep. Talking to a brother up on the mountain, his name is Chris Boyle. Some of you have seen Chris, right? He sits here usually in the front row and he looks pretty frail. Chris has been, he's been going in and out of chemo for a number of years fighting cancer. I was ta- this guy has had an unbelievable life. He used to be a newspaper um, journalist. He also wrote independent for a number of magazines. That guy has met more famous people than almost anybody I've ever, in fact, more than anybody I've ever met. I said, well, who was the most interesting person you met? He said, John Wooden. I said, really? He goes, man, that guy was cool. I'm like, really? He, and then he said, also, he goes, I really like Michael Jordan. He goes, Michael Jordan and I were, we really hit it off. And, and he kind of went through Bob Marley, all these different people that he'd been meeting in his life, right? And Chris was kind of at the top of his game, really well respected. A lot of people knew him. And then he became a teacher in the public high school system. And he loved it because he was a really good writer. And so he taught English. But then he got cancer. And this is what he said to me. It was really interesting. I wasn't trying to fish this out. He said there was one day. He said I I was in the office at the school. And he said, and I was holding on to a bookshelf. He says, because I couldn't stand up. He says, I was so weak from the chemo, but I was out of sick leave. He said, so I came to work that day, and he said, literally, I was just standing there shaking. And he said, the principal came in there and said, what are you doing here? And he says, man, I'm out of sick leave, and I can't afford not to be here. And the principal says, that's pride. You got 40 more days, go home. And he said, you know what? At that moment, God got my attention. That's the question. Does he have your attention? Has this problem brought you to a point where you're listening? You're listening? Does he got it yet? Well, here we are. He's got this man's attention. (laughs) This is a big deal. He's paralyzed. There's nothing that he can do. But what we're going to see is Jesus doesn't deal with what we think is our biggest problem first. He deals with another problem that's even deeper. We're going to see that Jesus is going to do something that they don't expect, right? Jesus is not going to just fix the problem of his body. He's going to go way, way deeper. So that's the first thing. Our problem is used by God to get our attention. The second thing is our problem is really an identity problem. It's an identity problem. Is your identity in something of this world... Or is it in Christ? 
Do you have an identity problem? Look at verse 5. It says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. He says, My son, your sins are forgiven. So you've got you to picture this. Here are these guys have gone through a lot of trouble to bring this man to him. They're literally willing to destroy somebody's house to get into them. They dig a hole. They drop him down on ropes. He's hanging there before Christ. He's right there. And they're thinking he's going to heal. But instead he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. What? I mean, think about it. Right? I think they're kind of stunned. They don't know what to do. I mean, hey, man, we didn't bring him here for that religious stuff. We brought him here to be healed, man. Because that's what's most important. That's the biggest problem. That's the issue, isn't it? It's interesting. Jesus here is saying, look, if I just heal you, you're going to go back to saving yourself. You're going to go right back to life the way you want it, the way you plan it. You've still got a really big problem. Your soul is totally corrupted and trapped. So I'm going to take care of the more important issue first. And then we'll talk about that. Right? So Jesus doesn't at first give him what he came for. He gives him what he really needs. And what this man needs is forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, this man has a problem... But it's a deep-rooted problem, and it's sin at the very core of his soul. And what we do in our natural frame is we think, you know, I'm okay. God and I, we're all right. I'm not that bad. I'm not like that person. And we kind of justify our lives. But when Christ is not first, we put something else in front of him. And I'm talking to you believers here. When something else has taken the place of your Lord, you've got a problem. Because you put your trust in something other than Jesus Christ. And for, the, for those of you that are here that don't know Christ, you have even a deeper issue. Because you have a wall between you and God. And so this man has a very deep-rooted issue, and Jesus wants to take care of that first, that deep-rooted sin issue first, because that's the bigger issue. And it's not just like lying or cheating or things like that. It is that he has placed something else in front of God. I read a story to my kids when they were young. Any of you read the Narnia series? Remember the book, The Voyage of the, the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis? Now, there's a, a character in there. His name is Eustace. And Eustace was just a brat. And so none of the other characters liked him. So Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they all thought he was just a jerk. And Eustace didn't like them. He was kind of mean and real self-centered. And they're on this boat called the Don Treader. And the Don Treader stops at this island. And Eustace sneaks off the boat and he finds a cave. And in the caves there's all these jewels and gold and diamonds. And he finds this gold bracelet and he puts it on. And he thinks, I'm going to get them now. I'm rich. For what they've done to me, man, I'm going to get back at them. And then he falls asleep on the treasure. The problem is it's a dragon's lair. And because he fell asleep with malice and hatred in his heart, he wakes up and he's a dragon. And he's a huge dragon with big ugly scales on. And he still has got this little teeny gold bracelet on his arm, but it's killing him now. He's in so much pain, and he, but he can't get it off because he's a really big dragon now. And then he realizes, uh-oh, I'm too big for the boat. 
That means I'm stuck here on this island. And he starts crying out, I don't want to be a dragon. I don't want to be a dragon. And all of a sudden, Aslan shows up. Now, Aslan, the lion, is Christ, as we know it, right? And Aslan comes up and he leads Eustace to a clear pool of water. And he says, okay, undress and get in. And he kind of looks at himself and saying, oh, I got a scales on, man. What do you mean to undress? And he's like, yeah, undress. And so Eustace starts clawing at these scales and he gets one layer off and uh-oh, there's another layer. And he gets it again. Another layer comes off. There's still another layer underneath. A third time, the third layer comes off and he's still got it on there. And then Aslan looks at him and says, you're going to have to let me go deeper. Let me read it to you. Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, but I was pretty desperate now. And the very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off and there it was lying on the grass. Only it was ever so much thicker, ever so much darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And then he caught hold of me and he threw me in the water and it smarted like anything for a moment. And then I saw that I had turned into a boy again. And after a bit, the lion took me out and he dressed me in new clothes. New clothes. Is that a picture of our sin that just clings to us? And then what happens? Jesus makes us a new creation. That is the deeper problem. That is the deeper issue. You need to let Christ go deeper all the way to the heart. And that is the issue with this man, this paralytic. He's thinking, hey, if I'm healed, cool. I'll just go back to what I'm doing. He's got an identity problem. He thinks it's about him and his life when it's really about Christ and knowing him. You see, Carol got a new liver. Problem solved, man. She went right back to partying. Doing life my way. This paralytic, he's got an identity problem. He thinks if, he, if I can just get my legs back, I'm back in the game. And it's my life. No, it's not. Christ wants to go deeper. And can I ask you, will you let him? Will you allow our Lord to go deeper than just that problem that's right in front of you? Because our problem is an identity problem. You either identify yourself with the things of this world or you identify yourself with Christ. Well, <laughs> that what Jesus said, my son, your sins are forgiven, really upsets those religious leaders that are there. Whoa, how dare he? So our problem is used by God first to get our attention. Our problem is then an identity problem. But the third thing we see is our problem cannot be fixed by religion. It can't. Religion does not do it. Look at verses 5 through 8. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin? But God alone. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way from within themselves, he said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Now, if you look at verses six and seven, it shows us that these men were pretty upset, but they don't say it verbally. But in their heart, man, how dare he? So they think in their minds in verse seven, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. And listen, he says, who can forgive sins but God alone? So in their mind, they're thinking, hey, who can forgive sins but God alone? 
You know what? That's actually a really good question. It's actually the right question because that's the truth. No one can forgive sins except God alone. Isaiah 43:25 says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God is the forgiver of sins because he is the one who's been offended. Do you understand? And the reason God has to forgive our sins is because we have offended him. And the same thing applies to you. You cannot forgive someone unless you are the one who's been offended. It, it's kind of like this. If my friend Ted right there, if he comes up here and socks me in the nose and my friend Mark over there walks over to Ted and said, Ted, I forgive you for hitting Rob. It doesn't work. I have to forgive Ted. Don't you try it. And the same thing applies here with Christ. Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Why is he doing that? Because he is the one who's been offended. Jesus himself is God. And only a person who is the creator of humans can forgive humans. And so do you understand that Jesus is fully God? That's what's happening here. He's going to display his divinity. Now, John 1, 3 says that all things came into being through him. That is Christ. And apart from him, nothing came into being that's come into being. Jesus is the creator of all. Colossians 1.16 says that for by Jesus all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus, being God, is the one who is offended. So when he says, my son, your sins are forgiven, he's saying, my son, I forgive you for the offense against me, your God. And the religious leaders, they know it. That's what's happening here. This guy is claiming to be God. How dare he? And then what happens? Look at verse 8. Immediately, Jesus is aware in his spirit. Immediately, in his spirit, that they are reasoning within themselves. Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart, Jesus says. That response just proves the fact that he is God. Because no one can read the heart of man except God. Now, I know you guys seen these shows. You've got the mediums out there now, these median shows and all that kind of stuff. It's a bunch of junk. It's demonic, not real. Only God knows the intent of the heart. Psalm 44, 21 says, for God knows the secrets of the heart. Acts 15, 8 says, and God knows the heart. And John 2, 25 says that Jesus did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus right there just says, you got it? I'm God. I just said your sins are forgiven. And I've forgiven them the sin against me. And these religious leaders, they're freaking out right now because this goes against their religion. What does their religion say? No, you need a sacrifice. If you're going to forgive a sin, man, you've got to bring a lamb to the temple. You've got to slay that thing. Then it's forgiven. Amen. They're right. You do need a sacrifice. Christ is that sacrifice. He's going much deeper here, guys. He's not playing any games here. And he's saying, look, son, I forgive your sins. Religion does not take care of our problem. It cannot. They had nothing within them to help him with his physical need. And they could not help him with his spiritual need. And can I tell you, Carol... You know what became her religion? It's, it, it's kind of weird. Her and her husband, they started to, she got married again, second time. New husband. She's still the same person. 
real independent, doing things my own way. They're always fighting. She's kind of alienated against everything. Her daughter told me that she had one friend only. And she doesn't know how she kept that friend. And so she's always fighting with these people. But she decided, I need to go to church because I got a physical issue, man. You know, I'm on anti-rejection drugs because of this, you know, liver that's stuck in me. And so maybe I better put God on my side. And so on Sunday, I'm a good little Christian girl. Monday through Saturday, man, I'm a party girl. Right? She just kind of places Jesus, kind of slots him into her life, but it's life her way. That's her religion. That religion does not save, and it definitely doesn't take care of her physical problem. Religion does not help us with our problem. The law does not forgive sins. The law makes us aware of sins. Now, this paralytic man, he needs a healing. But he first needs forgiveness. You see, religion... It hates God's grace. It hates grace. Unmerited favor. It cannot handle that salvation is totally a work of God. Religion wants to be able to say, no, I did something to merit God's favor. That is religion. But our Lord says, you can do nothing to merit my favor. Only I can bestow forgiveness. And I do it through my own sacrifice. Our problem cannot be fixed by religion. Now later, Carol developed an issue because of her party and lifestyle, because of all the things that happened. She um, blew out her kidneys, kidney failure. And uh, what happened is her religion kind of shifted from Jesus kind of in my pocket to medicine. Now medicine will cure me. Medicine is the answer. The doctors became the priests. Medicine, if they can come with a cure or dialysis or maybe I can get a kidney transplant, that became her religion. But again, it really couldn't heal her and it did not take care of her soul. So religion doesn't solve our problem. So we've seen our problem is used by God to get our attention. Our problem is really an identity problem. And our problem cannot be fixed by our religion. And the fourth thing is, is our problem, it brings glory to God. Now, this is verses 9 through 12. So Jesus poses a question, and I want you to hold on to this question because it's a really good question and a very important one. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up his pallet, went out of sight of all. And they were all amazed and they were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Your problem can actually bring glory to God. Now, Jesus asked that question. He says, hey, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, arise, take up your pallet and walk. And, and I think in, in, in the way we would think, we would say, well, naturally, it's just to say your sins are forgiven is much easier, right, than to actually heal someone, right? Sounds to me that makes logical sense. Because what's, but, but you need to kind of put this in context. What has Jesus been doing? Healing. He's been going around healing everybody. He is a healer. And it's, 
you're right to think that way because I think it's posed that way because by saying that and then he heals the guy, wham, he proves it, right? So, yeah, he just showed by healing this guy. He's healed now. And, and so that kind of confirms, if you will, the fact that he could forgive sins. Do you see that? By that healing, he then says, you know, I'm kind of the, the lesser to the greater. I, I really did forgive his sins because now I actually heal him. And it again shows his divinity and, and he's in. And almost every commentator I read said, that's it right there. You know, you should kind of look at it that way. It's, it's easier just to say your sins are forgiven than to really heal somebody. Can I tell you? I think there's another side to it. I want to take you a little bit deeper on this one. Because it's not the only point of the story. When Jesus asks, which is easier? And put it this way. Is it easier to forgive this man's sins? Or is it easier for him to heal this man? Can I tell you something? It is so much harder. Jesus already knows he's going to have to go to a cross for this man to be forgiven. It is so much harder for our Lord at this point. When he says, your sins are forgiven, he knows it's his life that he's given in his place. And it's his life that he's giving for you. And we would just think for a moment the reality of the incarnation. God becoming man. I mean, what an amazing thing. Why is that? First of all, you need to understand that our sin is so deep, so bad, so perverse. We can't do it ourselves. There is no hope, none. We're absolutely destitute of any hope of doing it ourselves. That's why these religious guys are mad, because they think you can. And Jesus is saying, you can't. I have to die. Romans 1, when speaking about our sin, says that without Christ, we are filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. We are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. We're insolent. We're arrogant. We're boastful. We're inventors of evil. We're disobedient to our parents. We're without understanding. We're untrustworthy. We're unloving. And we're unmerciful. That is this man's problem. His sin is so deep that unless God does an unbelievable thing that nobody could even imagine that God himself would become a man. You see the amazing, amazing part of the incarnation. And it's not only that he becomes a man and then just dies, but he has to come here and live a perfect life. He doesn't just come here on a Friday, go to the cross, sins covered, I'm out. He has to live 33 years without sin as a man. But he never lost his divinity. He didn't become a lesser God. He is 100% God. 100% man. He's fully both. And he gives us grace. It is so much harder. Literally in Isaiah... It literally says that he is despised and forsaken by men. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's going to have to suffer. And so when he poses that question, he already knows that. And this is how he puts our problem. In Matthew, you guys remember the rich young ruler? He comes up and says, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? And then Jesus gives him the law. And he says, hey, I kept all that since youth, right? And then he basically says, well, then, okay, sell everything you got and then follow me and you're in. And it says that he walks away sorrowful. 
And then this is what Jesus says. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You have to understand a rich man in that culture are the people that are blessed by God. And so his disciples hear this and they say, they're astonished and they say, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, looking at them, he says, with people, that means all people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why? Because Christ himself became that sacrifice that we needed so much. And so the question that, that is posed here is he had to deal with this man saying that's the deeper issue, but he deals with it himself. That is the grace of God, guys. And whatever your problem is, that big problem, is he first? Is he first in your life or has something else taken his place? For those of you that are in Christ, it's not just that day I was saved and now I live the way I want because I'm in. You live it every day as him as your Lord and Savior. For those of you that don't know Christ, I'm glad you're here. Because the answer again is Christ and he himself will forgive your sins. With this paralytic... He knew that he had to go deeper. He had to go all the way to the heart. And whether you're a paralytic on a mat or a struggling actor, Jesus wants to go deeper in your life. He wants to bring this point all the way home. Now, he uses this man's problem to glorify God. Look at verse 12. And he arose and immediately he took up his pallet. He went out in the sight of all and they were all amazed. Glorifying God saying we have never seen anything like this. God will use your problem. And He'll bring glory to Himself when you submit. When you submit. In talking to Chris on the mountain, he's submitted himself to the Lord. And the Lord is bringing glory now through his life as people begin to remember Him in the old way and now the new Chris in Christ. Is his problem around? It is still there. God has left him still in his cancer. But do you know he has joy with cancer? Why? Because God dealt with the bigger issue. When you allow God to deal with the bigger issue of your heart, you literally can have your problem and still have joy because he is Lord and Savior of all. Now, with Carol, because of her kidney failure, because she didn't stop being Carol <laughs> and kind of living this life all out, she literally burned out her life. And I'm in my office in January. I think it was a Tuesday morning. I'm sitting there just kind of starting out my day. And there's a, my little light on my phone is blinking. So there's a message and I hit it. And hi, Pastor Rob. My name is Carol Wilcox. And, and my mother is in Mission Hospital. And you don't know me. I'm from Las Vegas, Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. And, and I was just wondering if you might be willing to come over and talk to my mom because she won't talk to me about Jesus. She says she's not dying. She's dying. Could you come over? Like, and she left a number and I, I called her back and I said, yeah, I'll be more than happy to come over. So I was over there about 11 o'clock and I show up and there's Carol in the bed. And in my mind, I'm thinking she's 90. And then I learned she's 64. Okay. But she's sound asleep. And that happens a lot with people that are kind of on their deathbed. It's really a tough, tough call. And a lot of times you never even get to talk to the person because they're just gone. Literally, I think the week before, that's exactly what happened. I saw somebody else and they never woke up and they were just gone. And I did their funeral a week before that. And so I just told Carol, I said, well, let me pray for her. And so I prayed over Carol, you know, and I said, you know, Carol, 
there's a wonderful opportunity right now for you to know Jesus. And, and you know, you've got a problem, though. You're, you're, you're separated from God, God right now before your sin. But he's taking care of that in Jesus, Carol. And I just kind of prayed the gospel, you know. And Carol's, Carol's you know, not waking up. And her, her daughter Gail's over here crying. And, and it's done. And, and her son was there, too. His name was Bart. And then I said, guys, if she wakes up, you know, call me. So I left. And then the next morning... I get a call, and it's a message again on my phone when I walk in. Pastor Rob, you won't believe it. My mom woke up. And she said, somebody was here, and I think I need to talk to him about how to get to heaven. And I'm like, wow. And so I get back in my car, and I go over, and Carol's awake, and she's alert. And she was ready. And it was like picking up low-lying fruit. I just shared the gospel with Carol. And, you know, I don't know if you remember her eyes, but her eyes were brilliant green. She looked just like death. But when she opened her eyes, I was like, wow, because her eyes were striking. And I just talked to her about the love of Christ. That she had a much deeper problem than what was killing her physically. But she had a spiritual issue. And she listened and agreed and responded in faith and received Christ. And she no longer was discontented. She found hope right there. Her daughter Gail's over here just bawling her eyes out. God did an amazing miracle right there with Carol. And it's the same thing that Jesus does with this paralyzed man. He has to deal with the deeper issue first. Will you let him do that? Will you put your faith where your faith needs to be? Can he be your identity? Does he have your attention? Are you trusting in some kind of a religious deal? But will you give him glory by trusting in him alone? That's the question. I pray you will. Let's pray together. Lord, we cannot thank you enough that you want our hearts. Lord, you want to give us a new life, make us a new creation. You want to change us from the inside out. You make us new. And even all the way at the very end, when our life has not honored you, you are waiting right there, pressing in, reaching out. Father, will you help us get around our problems so that we can see our deeper issue? We pray that you will, Lord. Help us with our sin. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I have you stand with me?